0: Here we go. All right, last week we talked about discipleship, and, and we really have to understand this paradigm shift, that we are, uh, we are not disciples of one another, we're disciples of Jesus, and we, we looked at how important it is for us to, uh, for us to understand that. Uh, I, I'm gonna share it again, but uh, just shared with you this quote from Dallas Willard. He says, I am learning from Jesus to live my life as he would live my life if he were I. So really something important to grab here, I'm learning from Jesus, okay? I am not necessarily learning to do everything he did, but I am learning how to do everything I do in the manner that he did all that he did. So we're learning how to be Jesus in our context, and we're learning it from Jesus. And we talked about how Jesus didn't change the model of discipleship. He didn't, uh, he didn't leave the disciples and go, okay, now discipleship happens in coffee shops and you teaching each other. He didn't say that. The model of discipleship is still the same. Jesus is the one who we are following, but the way that it works now is that He has put Himself in us. So the person of the Holy Spirit lives in us, and that's why Jesus would say things like, "The Holy Spirit is going to lead you into all truth." That's why He would say things like, "You need no one to teach you, but the Spirit that is in you." Because the the idea is that we're still disciples; we're called into discipleship relationship. Now that personal, intimate relationship that is discipleship is on the inside of us. And He said it's about the Spirit. He said that you will know Him because He's where. In you, right? So that's what we talked about last week, is the necessity for us to understand that if I'm going to be discipled, that that is a, that is a uh, relationship that happens with Jesus and through his spirit that is in me. And we can trust the Holy Spirit to glorify Jesus in us. Um, so then the question becomes, okay, it sounds like you're saying that we don't need discipleship relationships with each other. I am saying that, but let me qualify that statement, okay? And I, th- I think this is really important, and, and it's probably not what if you know if you go to the, I said this last week, you go to the Christian bookstore, you're going to find all sorts of resources on how to disciple each other. First thing I'm saying is that's not your job. Your job is not to disciple one another. that's the job of Jesus, okay He's put his spirit in us in order to do it. Your job is not to disciple one another. Your job is to be disciples together, okay and so you being disciples together is part of the discipleship process but it's because it's helpful for you to be in discipleship in the same context so it's helpful for you to be discipled together and helps shape us all right so that's the the it's it's a subtle shift you might say well that's what we're doing okay if that's what you're doing but uh, I'm going to challenge that a little bit and, and just have us look at what's it. What's the difference when we say it's the Holy Spirit's job to form in us the person of Christ. And it might look a little different in our relationships with one another. My job is not to form the person of Jesus in Kyle. That's, it, that's, the, that's the job of the Holy Spirit. However, as Jesus is being formed in me and formed in him, it is good for us to be in community because it helps that process along. We're good for each other. And so we're gonna look at what it looks like to have that that shaping happening to all of us at the same time and in community. And that's what our relationships with one another really should look like, okay? So real quick though, just as a review, how do we participate in this discipleship process? Uh, With Jesus, we gotta want to be near him. You've got to want to be near Jesus. It would not make sense for a disciple to not want to be near their rabbi, okay? Where is the spirit? He's in you. So if you want to be near Jesus, then we've got to have time, focus, and attention on this relationship with the spirit of God that is in us. We've got to want to be near him. We've got to realize, number two, that he's in charge of the process. There's a way that I would disciple myself, and it's probably not the best way. I've got to trust Jesus to do this the way that he sees Fit. He's the best one to make himself in me, and so I've got to trust him in the process. And then the last thing is part of that trusting him in the process is what Jesus would say in John 15. How do we do that? We abide. We abide in him. We will not bear fruit unless we abide in him. It's trusting him to do what he says he's gonna do, all right? So that's kind of the review. Now, let's jump into some new stuff. So we have to answer the question, and before some of y'all tune me out, because some of y'all are already frustrated. Like, he just said, we're not supposed to disciple each other. But I heard so-and-so on the last podcast, and they said that we were supposed to disciple each other, all right? So before we get offended and freak out, let's move into this new material, because I want to just talk about this paradigm shift, all right? How does, if we're disciples of Jesus and not each other, how does scripture speak of our relationships with one another? You know that nowhere in the scripture does it call you a discipler up here? Never, that's not in the Bible. For us to disciple one another is not in the Bible. There is this statement from Jesus and it's a pretty important one. At the end of the book of Matthew, what does he say? Go and make disciples of all nations and then what does he say at the end? Disciples of all nations. Remember, we know what that means now, Okay. Now we, know, we have that grounded in the Hebrew context. We know what that means. Go and make disciples of all nations. What's the next statement? Teaching them to do all that I have commanded you. Well, what did Jesus command us to do? He never said disciple one another. What did he say? What did he command us to do? Abide in me and you'll bear much fruit. So what, is it, what does it look like to go and make disciples of all nations? It looks like going and making disciples of Jesus not disciples of one another. It's going and making disciples of Jesus, teaching them, teaching others to be in relationship with who? Jesus. You get it? All right? So we're going to talk about that a lot next week because we're going to start this section um, on evangelism, but we have to understand evangelism in the context of discipleship. All right? So that's next week, but um, I, I just wanted to bring that in. We are commanded to make disciples, but we're commanded to make disciples of Jesus, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. All right, so what are we then? In this room, what are we? The Bible is really, really, really clear. It gives us one, it's really one dominant um, theme of who we are relationally with one another. We're family, all right? The Bible calls us brothers and sisters. It, relates, it says that our relationships to one another are in the context of a family. Go to Galatians chapter three. So we're we're disciples of Jesus and we're family in the blood of Jesus with one another. So what what does these familial relationships look like? I want to just show you this real quick. Galatians chapter 3. Let's start in verse 27. This will just be short. Let's just start in 27. It says, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither. Looky here. This is important. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So, what happens to all of the all of the the, the categories of people as human eyes look at it? What happens to all the categories of people? What gets happened? Okay, the level, the playing field gets totally leveled, right? There is no longer, we don't look at each other in this system, this hierarchical system, right? We look at each other as what? One and unified where? In Christ Jesus, okay? Now here's what that doesn't do, because we get a little squeamish here. We go, wait a minute, is is that really true? Does that really mean all uniqueness is gone? No, it doesn't mean uniqueness is gone. But what uniqueness isn't is uniqueness isn't about value. Listen to me. Uniqueness is blessing and goodness. It is good that we are not all the same in this room, okay? We're not all the same in a lot of different ways, and that's good. But our differences don't elevate value in the kingdom. You with me? Our uniqueness serves to glorify God because in our uniqueness, in our uniqueness, we're unified in Christ Jesus. So the playing field gets totally leveled. We're all one in Christ. We're all disciples of Jesus. We're family. Okay? We're family. Now, if there's a level playing field, it doesn't mean that there's also not different roles, because Paul's going to establish roles and order in the church. But again, roles and order in the context of the kingdom is not about value. Okay? It's not about one level of talent over the other. It's simply for order, for the advance of the kingdom. Okay, our current discipleship paradigm basically makes us answer the question, who is who is better at being Jesus than the other person, right? It, you may not say it that way, but that's the way that we approach it. I, I've heard hundreds of times in the last eight years, uh, seven years, I added one, but uh, so in the last seven years just of doing college ministry here, I can't tell you how many times, literally hundreds of times I've had a conversation with somebody and the subtle implication when they're desiring to have somebody invest in their life is who's better at me than being Jesus. And then the other implication is, okay, now I got to find somebody that's worse than me at being Jesus so that I can disciple them. Now, we, again, we may not say it that way, but that's the way that we approach it, right? Is, is who's better and who's worse, and I need to get myself right in the middle. Because <laughs> I need to have that person that's better at Jesus telling me how to be better at Jesus, and I need to be telling that person that's not very good at being Jesus how to be better at Jesus. And then what does that immediately make us evaluate? If that is the system of discipleship, then what do you have to evaluate? Listen to me. How good are you at being a Jesus, right? You've got to evaluate your what? Performance. And then this is even scarier, right? Okay, I'll leave you to it. You want to evaluate your performance, I'll leave you to it. I think it's a dangerous, murky road. But what do you have to also do? You have to evaluate other people's performance. And now I think we're getting into territory that the Bible says don't do that, <laughs> right? Don't do it. So, But that's our current discipleship paradigm. So here's all I'm suggesting. All I'm saying is, what were to happen if we were to take that completely away? What what if our relationships with one another never asked us to evaluate how good I am at being Jesus or not? And what if the context of our relationship with one another was what the Bible does say, which is family? What if you were my brother or my sister? Now this isn't about talent. Now this isn't about who's better at being Jesus. Now, look at me, this is about being family. And being family is a whole different dynamic than figuring out who's more talented and how you can fix the other person and who can fix you, right? Being family has a whole different type of focus. And you wanna know, I just, just a side note, I think one of the reasons why the church right now is so ineffective and kind of seems so handcuffed in this conversation that is just roaring about race right now is that we don't know how to be family. So it's like the one place the world ought to be able to look at and go, okay, have they figured out how to be together? Because this is madness outside of the church. Have they figured out how to be together? And we're like, well, we kind of we like each other, but we don't know how to solve this issue. It's because we don't know how to be family. It's because we've created this system of hierarchy within the church of like, who's better at being Jesus, that we don't know how to be family. And listen, family is a, is a total different focus. Family makes you be all in with one another. Family makes you go, well, that's cousin Al, but listen, and he's wacky, but that's my cousin. Don't say a word, right? Right? Family has a deeper level of bond. Family's not about performance the last time I checked. You're family regardless, right? Right? There's a different level of love and care for one another when you're family, because it's like, I'll see past all the junk you just did because you're family. I'm gonna die for you. You with me? So I think one of the issues for us right now as a church and what I'm just, why I really encourage us to evaluate this discipleship model is because I think we become so powerful when we learn how to be family. Because there's what's crazy. We're family and we're not family. <laughs> and I think that's a bold statement in our world. For the world to look at us and us not be family, we're not blood family, but we're family. Galatians 3 tells us clearly, we are all one in Christ Jesus. And actual unity, actual unity, is dangerous to the kingdom of darkness. Not just wearing the same t-shirt, that's not unity. All right? Not just going to the same place on Sunday morning. I'm talking about unity that is family is dangerous to the kingdom of darkness. All right, so what is this? What does this look like? If we're family, if we're brothers and sisters, everybody say brothers and sisters. that feel good? That's good. I, that's good. All right, y'all sound great too. All right, so what, what should our relationships consist of? All right, go to 1 John. There's two, there's two cats, well, look, the scripture is clear. I'm not suggesting that, but there's two guys, uh, two, two sections of the Bible that I think are the, like these cats don't mince words. It's 1 John and James, like, you're not going to be unclear when you leave those. You're like, "Well, I wonder what that means. It's like it's pretty plain, all right, So here we go. We're going to go to some plain stuff. First John. Some of y'all are in the Gospels. Keep going. There's a one in front of the one we're looking for, all right? All right, First John, chapter three. We're just gonna take a sample of three passages in 1 John that talk about our relationships with one another. What does it look like to be family? The building block of this is simple, all right? 1 John 3, look at verse 16, all right? By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. See, family. You see it? Brother of love, see, family, right? He... Where does it come from? He laid down his life for us, so then we lay down our lives for family, for our brothers. Look at chapter 2. Go back to the left. Look at verse uh, verse 9. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his, what? Brother is still in darkness, Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. Pretty clear there, right? You've come to the light. If you've come to Jesus, the evidence will be in this. Do you love your family? Do you love your brother? Okay, so we're learning something. What is the basis of this family relationship? It's based in love, but not as the love, as the world defines it. Love as Jesus has defined it, which is what? Sacrificial, okay? Okay? Love as the world defines it is not sacrificial, it's self-serving. Love as Jesus defines it is this, right? How did, he, how did he define love? By what? Laying down his life. You with me? We talk about this a ton. When I do a wedding, I talk about this a bunch, that Jesus' command to us is to love one another as I have loved you. How did he love us? By laying down his life. Sacrifice is the evidence of love. So for us, in this family relationship, what does it look like to lay down our lives for our family, all right. First John chapter four. So go back to the right. I know you're like, man, you, you have a two, three, and a four here. Why didn't you just do that, all right? Maybe y'all didn't think that. Some of you are like, oh, really? We're just, yeah. All right, chapter four. If anyone says, verse 20, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has, uh, sorry, whom he has seen cannot love God whom he's not seen. that's as plain as I know how to make it. That's what I'm saying. You can't walk away from here and go, I wonder what he meant, right? He, mean, he means this. Look, you don't love God if you don't love your brother. That's what he said. I, I don't know how to change that, make that softer and, and more appetizing for us. Basically, he says, if that family relationship is there, you better watch it when you say that you love God because if you hate your brother, the love of God is not in you, okay? Whew. So that's the first thing the basis of our of our relationship family relationship is what sacrificial love please don't again don't step into territory where you define it like the world does it's sacrificial love it's jesus type love all right what's the next thing so what is that how does that kind of manifest itself relationally go to romans chapter 14 y'all still good listen i've been late the last 2 weeks so i'm moving all right you you would think i would just reduce the content i hadn't figured that out yet <laughs> I just run faster. <laughs> Do what? Yeah. All right, Romans 14. Here we go. Romans 14 is all about, you know what, I'm, let me just read Romans 14. Romans 14 is, is basically about this. So l- look at just um, the content here is, is what he's saying in, in this whole chapter is about food and, and what food to eat, and because certain food has been sacrificed to idols. And he's talking about the, to the church, because you've got, you've got Jews and Greeks in the same context, and, and some people are eating food that's been sacrificed to idols, and some people are like, you should not do that. And Paul's going, okay, how do we navigate this relationship? And what he ends up saying is, in, in, towards the latter part of that chapter, he ends up saying, don't do what causes your brother to stumble. He uses that word, brother. Okay? Again, he uses his family relationship. And basically he says, if you know that being in front of so-and-so and eating this food is going to cause them to stumble in your faith, he tells them not to do it. And here, the point is, is not, okay, what food should we eat and what food should we not eat? What I want you to see here is what? What's the focus of the relationship? How do I serve you? And in order to do that, what do I have to know? I've got to know, it's got to be based in brotherly love, but what do I have to know? I've got to know what makes you stumble. You ever thought about that? If i got to know what makes you stumble, what does that mean? I have to know you, right? I've got to, I've got to know where you're at. I've got to know your strengths. I've got to know your weaknesses. I've got to know the, the, what's going on in your heart. And if I know that, man, right now this is a tough thing, what am I going to do? What's the aim of my life? To do what? To take care of you. Do you see it? Sacrificial love. I'm gonna lay down something I could do because I'm going to, my priority is to take care of you and to lay this down is not an issue for me. It's my greatest delight to take care of you, right? I'm, I'm fulfilled in taking care of you. Like It's good for me to say, and I'm gonna keep just using Kyle. Kyle's my, right, he's my friend. If, if, look, if I know something, it's delight for me to say, no, I'm not gonna do this and I'm not gonna to go to Kyle and go, you know I abstained from food from idols, right? To protect you, right? Oh, man, we, lo- we love doing that kind of mess, right? Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to lay it down in secret. I'm going to lay it down in secret, and my father, who knows what's done in secret, will reward me. Right? It's a different thing. It's between me and the Lord. But my delight is not that Kyle said, thank you so much for living your life sacrificially to me. My delight is that I did, and he's thriving, right? Right? My greatest good is that my brother and my sisters thrive, okay? So what do we have to do? We have to live with the goal of our family members thriving. Think about this. This is not an issue when we talk about like blood family, is it? Right now, I've got two grandmothers that are really, really sick. My mom is bouncing back and forth from one to the other, from one to the other all the time right, from Dallas to Austin to, you know, and then my sister got sick, and uh, this last week, it's a crazy time in our family, my sister got sick, really sick this last week, and mom, like, here she comes, right, and then back, and she'll go to the other grandmother, and then, and then right, you, do you hear her, like, calling us and going, does anybody see what I'm doing? Like, praise me, no, why, because it's just by nature, it, She's giving up the things of her life in order to serve them. Why? Because they're, listen, family. And her goal is for them to thrive. Even if that means laying things down for her, and I gotta wonderful sacrificial mom that's been laying it down from day one but why she laid it down for me and my sister why so that we could thrive she's laying it down right now why so that they can thrive that's what family does and we don't have an issue with that it, it, outside of the church like with our blood 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 family this is what happens when i talk too fast y'all are like he's outrunning himself but why is that an issue in the church I think a lot of the reason it's an issue is because we're still trying to figure out who's better at being Jesus. And to lay it down might mean sacrificing that. If I lay this down, somebody might not see me, right? But that's not the goal. All right, here's, another, here's just a couple other things. To live with the goal of family thriving, in Acts 9, 17, I'll just give you a quick summary of this story, but this guy named Ananias, who's a Jew, goes after Paul has been blinded on the road to Damascus, um, he, he right. He gets Jesus like shows up and lights him up. Literally blinds him on the road. Why are you persecuting me? He has no answer. He just says, "Lord, you know, like who are you? What's going on?" And and Jesus sends him away. He says, "Go wait for instruction." Right? We think it's like this holy f- moment. It's really. Pretty raw moment. He just gets blinded, thrown on his face, and then told to go home, right? And so he's waiting, and Jesus shows up to this guy named Ananias, who's a Jew, who Paul's been persecuting, and he says, go, because you're the one that's gonna go, and, and, and you're gonna pray, and he's gonna receive sight, and you're gonna tell him that I'm calling him to the nations of the world to spread my name. And Ananias goes, you know who we're talking about, right? Like, you're sending me into the house of the terrorist. Jesus goes, I know, <laughs> Right, this is my paraphrase, but he says, I know, go. Here's the deal, here's what's way cool about this. Ananias chooses to believe what God has said about Paul and not what his past has said, and he goes to him and he prays for him. You know what comes out of his mouth? The first word that comes out of his mouth that's recorded in the scripture, what's the word? Brother. What? Not, you stay over there and I'm gonna be here and I'm gonna like throw the Holy Ghost on you, right? He, He didn't say that. He came up to him, put his hands on him and calls him brother. Can you imagine coming up to somebody who's been wreaking havoc in your family and because this is what God has said about them, you call them brother. Here's the deal. That's what it looks like to be family. It's not holding their past against them. It's not holding what what they've done against them. It's not knowing them by their circumstance. It's knowing them by who God says that they are and who God says that he is is appointed to preach the gospel and Ananias goes and calls him brother. Brother means something. He's family. He's family. And because he's family, he's going to believe who God has created him to be, not what his past says about him. Second Thessalonians chapter 3. All right, we are going to break this up. Y'all, I'm just not going to make it. Let's do this one more, and then we'll, we'll stop. You'll get out early. <laughs> All right, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. I know we don't go to Thessalonians very often. There's a one and a two. Y'all get there. If you hit Timothy, you've gone too far. This is how big 2 Thessalonians is in my Bible. So if it takes you a minute, that's all right. (laughs) Some of y'all smile. Like, have you smiled today? Hey, just a side note, now that I have time. So uh, I went to campus this last week. I love going to campus. Uh, There's a, I went to, uh, maybe it's because where I was. So it was, well, it was before 9 a.m., all right? So that was one factor, and I get that, all right? And, and also I was in the library and but I sat down with this group of guys and I was like man there's a lot of just like pretty ticked off people around here and like I I'm just like you know, walking around. I've been up since 5:30 with kids. You know, and like hanging out. I've had my coffee. I'm ready to go. I'm like seeing people on campus, like ah, you know, like I'm I'm excited, and I'm just getting all these death stares, like one after the other, like and then, and then the best one was the elevator. Like get, go to the library. Y'all ever been in a library elevator? People are just like it get, goes to another level of upset when you're right. So I pushed the button. The library door opens. It's these three girls, and every one of them looked at me like, don't say a word. I didn't, man. I just stood, I, it, it scared the joy out of me. I like went in and I t- turned around, pushed my button and just said, please don't get me. You know, it was terrifying. And then I sat in there and, uh, and one of the guys said, um, look, at this point, if you're, if you're early morning in the library at this point in the semester, things might have gone wrong. And so that's why everybody's, that's why everybody's upset. And I was like, oh, okay, I get it. You know, I, oh, man. So anyway, there's a lot of people that need some love. All right, just saying that. And if y'all see me on campus, say something. Get those stupid little pod things out of your ears and say what's up. All right? That is the, the worst. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Somebody did. Zanisha. She's not in here. But Zanisha, like from a, you all know Zanisha, like across campus was like, Kendall! You know, it was awesome. It was awesome. I felt so good, man. All right. All right, right. Second Thessalonians. Here's the other thing. So we're family, right? So 2 Thessalonians chapter three, look at verse 13. He says, as for you brothers, and this is super important for us to hear. It says, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him, what? As a brother. You know what this is? This is those hard family conversations, right? Y'all, y'all, anybody ever been in a room in a hard family conversation? Like, sometimes hard family conversations are—they're—they're they're hard. There's nothing uh, around that, but listen, they happen. Why? Because we're what? Family. We're family, so. We have the hard conversation. And here's what he says. Okay, so two things I want you to grab here. First, he says, don't grow weary in doing good. Listen, this thing is not easy. This following Jesus together, this isn't easy. Don't grow weary in doing good. So what is our job as brothers and sisters? What, what ought we to be doing? Right? Come on, Lexus. Get up, come on. We got it, come on. Let's go. I know, I know that you've been hitting a brick wall on this volleyball team, but come on right? We're not going to grow weary in doing good. We're going to keep coming after Jesus. And on those days where I'm like, no, Lexus, I'm good. She's going, come on. I know that people are angry on campus, but they need Jesus. Come on, come on, right? We're not going to let ourselves grow weary because it's easy to grow weary. You with me? I think the poison of the Western church today is, we we're talking about this morning with armor berries. right? It's, it's just like doing religious stuff and getting tired of it and kind of fizzling out, we just play the Christian song and dance over and over and over and over again and we just kind of get tired and weary and apathetic and the enemy comes in the back door and is like, okay, I'm okay with apathy. But Paul says, don't grow weary in doing good. Why do I need you? Because it, it, by myself, I'll grow weary. And I won't have anybody to say, Kendall. It wasn't as impactful as I'd hoped that would be. <laughs> right? Kendall, wake up, man. Come on. And then he says, look, if, I'm, if I've grown weary and I'm like, no, I'm done. I'm walking out. He says, look, don't treat them as an outsider, but warn them as a what? Brother. So the context of that hard conversation that says, Kendall, man, you have quit is not a pointing the finger at some stranger on the outside that says, man, look how terrible you're doing at following Jesus. It's the the context of that conversation is family, where you bring that person in and you sit down with them and the reason that you're doing it is because you love them. You hear me? We have the hard conversations with each other because we love each other and my warning doesn't come as an outsider. I'm not pointing the finger and saying, look how terrible you're doing. I'm saying, come in, sit down. I love you and so I'm gonna tell you that you've quit, you've walked away and that's not who you are. It's not who God has called you to be. Come back, be restored. Live this life that God has called you to live and I restore you as a brother. I can't tell you how many times I have seen This story on repeat where somebody walks away and here's the deal. Look, I can tell this. It's weird that it kind of plays out this way. I can tell this on attendance sheets. If I see somebody has been gone from from some level of intimate community, if they take off for more than three times in a row, typically two, either they've gotten themselves into some mess of sin Or there's been tragedy and there was no family that restored them in either of those contexts. And so they, what do they do? What is our nature in those moments? We go to isolation, don't we? We just do. Because we get it in our heads that there's no one that can help me. These people don't care about me, whatever. And we just kind of, it's subtle, but we just drift into isolation, don't we? Yeah. And the most powerful force against that is family. You with me? But I, it's it's loving each other enough to go, hey, I know whatever you're walking in and struggling in right now, this does not define you, and I'm going to be in you with you in it for as long as it takes. That's family. That's laying down your life on behalf of somebody else, long as it takes. I'm here with you. Doesn't mean I agree with what you're doing, but I'm with you. And in moments of tragedy, it's like, well, I don't know what to say. Just get in their space. Just get in somebody's space, like love them enough to just be present, right? Right, that's family. So here's the deal. So I'm not saying, and we'll finish this up a little bit next week. Um, and life group leaders, you need to adjust some of these questions. You're like, we didn't cover that. That's okay. We'll mess with some of this next week. But the point is, man, let's, I think we need to kick this, this current discipleship paradigm that looks at who's the best Christians and who's the worst, rates them on a scale and figures out that's who you're supposed to meet with. Let's be family. If we were to spend more time on being family, on loving each other as family, and what that's gonna mean is we're gonna, you probably are gonna have to go deep in a few relationships rather than going super, super wide, okay? You're gonna have to kind of commit to go deep in a few places because that's family. I, got, I mean, like we, we're having a lot of kids, so, um, and that's happening, so our family's growing quickly, but I'm just saying it's a limited number of people that I can go deep, 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 deep with. That's my family. All right, so it may mean that you've got to choose to go deep in some spaces because that's family and stop just trying to be so wide, all right? But I think we would make a massive difference in our own lives if we realize we're both trying to follow Jesus, let's be family and do it together and in the lives of, of other people because we would be committed to them deeply. We would be committed to them with a sacrificial love that only is defined in family. And, and not, man, this is not blood family, like this is deeper than that. This is blood family, this is blood of Jesus' family. This is a bond that can never be separated. We will never be separated from one another, me and you. That's pretty cool, right? All right, let's pray. God, first we just thank you that we um, get to be your disciples, man, that you that you have called us your own. Because we know that, man, look, where you found me in the midst of my sin and selfishness, I, I certainly wasn't performing well enough to be qualified but you extended your grace you called me to yourself and you believed in me that with the transformation that occurred by a new birth and by the filling of the Holy Spirit that you would make me like you. And the same hope that you brought in my life you want to bring through me in other people. So we thank you just for the grace that allows us to be part of your family that allows us to be called according to your purposes and for the good that comes with that. And God we pray just this morning that And I just pray that by the work of your Holy Spirit, that the hierarchy of the Christian life would be torn down in Jesus' name. That there would not be an evaluation of who's better and who's worse at following Jesus. But we recognize, look, we're all pressing forward to the same prize of knowing you and making you known. We wanna know you more. Would you reveal yourself in a greater and deeper way in our lives? And would you bind us together in that journey? Would you make us like family? For some of us, that's maybe for the first time admitting that we are family. (laughs) Like seeing each other that way. Would you help us, Holy Spirit, to see each other that way? And as we begin to see each other as brothers and sisters, would you then, Spirit of God, help us to lay down our lives on behalf of our brothers and sisters? And in doing so, that the church might be built up in love and be a display of the person of Christ to the world around us. We pray it in Jesus' name.